from Infinite Guest, this is Top Score, a conversation with composers who write music for video games. I'm Emily Rees. Composer Gareth Coker wrote a gorgeous score to the game Ori and the Blind Forest. The game itself is gloriously colorful, and Gareth used two different orchestras to complement the experience of playing Ori in the Blind Forest. One orchestra smaller than the other. You'll hear him explain that coming up. At the beginning of the game, there is a great storm, and Ori is part of a tree where there are other Oris, and he becomes lost from the tree. He gets blown away from the tree. And essentially, he is found by... Uh, his mother, or his adopted mother, Nauru, and she looks after him. Later on in the prologue, the tree calls out to Ori, but in the process of calling out to Ori, something happens, which I won't reveal, but something (laughs) happens that causes the forest to be corrupted and blinded, and eventually... This takes Ori's mother from him, and then Ori basically goes on a journey to restore the light back to the forest. Now, what's interesting about the opening of the game is it's about a 10-minute long opening, and it involves several minutes of cinematics. And of course, for those listening who aren't aware of cinematics, these are those episodes where players are just watching a scene unfold without playing or with minimal interaction. Meaning you, as a composer, Gareth, are basically writing music to film. You you kind of did a, a nice job explaining the opening there, but you had to score a lot of different emotions. And basically, it's like a 10-minute film. So talk to me about writing that music for the opening. I love that you said it was like a 10-minute film because that is exactly what I thought when it came into my inbox. Like, There is a lot to do here in 10 minutes and the real issue is is that some of it is non-interactive, so some of it you're watching. Mm -hmm. And then other parts you have control of the two characters that you uh, can play as in the prologue. So you have to take into account both the interactive and non-interactive elements and somehow make it all seamless and somehow get a melody in there because we were adamant we wanted a melody to establish, you know, the driving force of the game. I would say there are about 27, 28 different music files. It'll only ever feel like three or four because it's all it's all heavily connected. The prologue took about eight months from conception to finishing in terms of music, in terms of the composition. It was it was a gargantuan task. What we did to make things a little bit easier, everything was storyboarded out first, and I would write to the storyboards. And then the art team and animation team would sort of work with the music. So there wasn't too much music editing going on. So in many respects, I kind of had a lot of say in how the prologue was paced, which is one of the reasons I think why it feels as smooth as it does. 
So like everyone was doing the editing at the same time as the music was being written. And usually the music comes in like way at the end and you have to figure out just how to make everything work to picture. But with this, it was way more collaborative between every single department. And I think we just iterated and iterated over and over again until we got something that was really smooth. Originally, the prologue used to be about 20 minutes, and that was too long, so we had to cut, 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 and cut. And eventually, we found the sweet spot, which was around you know, 9 to 11 minutes, and that's long enough when you're starting up a game. I think if you put something like the prologue in the middle of the game, it would be very frustrating because you've been moving around a lot and doing lots of cool stuff, and then you've got to take a break. Um, but we felt we could do it at the beginning. Like, let's set up the story and make sure it's a really slick experience and get the player motivated to save the forest. And it took a long time, but we watch it now and we can read the reviews and uh, the reactions. And I've seen people on Twitch um, and they're reacting to it in the way that we had hoped for. So it was a ton of work, but uh, worth it for, for sure. so emotional. I mean, within a 10-minute time frame for the writers and developers and artists and composer to be able to elicit that kind of emotion within 10 minutes was uh, remarkable. I think the, the real reason for that is ultimately it's something we can all relate to, uh, you know, we all have a mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think when it's relatable, it makes it easier to create the emotional connection. I think the other thing that we do well is telling the story through visuals. So we don't need a huge amount of dialogue in that respect. There's, you know, the similarities to Wally -E and, and up, which we watched a lot. I mean, the, the opening sequence of up is, is a masterpiece. So when you're able to do stuff, with just visuals and music, I think it engages the player a little bit more and allows them to think for themselves a little bit more. And when you when you let the player think for themselves, great things happen, I think. Mm, yes, absolutely. There's a track in that opening sequence. And as you explained, there's like 300,000 <laughs> tracks in that opening yes. sequence. But, <laughs> but there's one that's extracted in the soundtrack. It's called Inspiriting. And yeah. this happens, it's... It's a very sad moment, and I want you to talk about your instrument choice there, what happens in that track, musically, what's happening in that track. So at the beginning, it's really just solo oboe um, and some very, very soft percussion uh, at the beginning. And at this point, we really wanted the audience to feel how terrible Ori's plight is. Thank you. 
then there is a big shift in the instrumentation because something momentous happens. I'm trying not to spoil it. <laughs> and at that point, everything flips on its head. And we flip from just a solo instrument to the full orchestra there because one, it's the end of the prologue. And two, the real journey for Ori is about to begin. But shifting from something that is so sad to something that gives you hope in, I think that cue is about 55 seconds a minute long. It's not yeah, very long. Right. That was that was another challenge. But when you're working with visuals that are as clear as the ones I was given, it kind of does a lot of the job for you. Yeah, when you have visuals like that, a lot of the choices are made. And uh, I couldn't think of anything else to do. I was like, we need a solo instrument here. It reflects the solo character walking through a forest and he's he's really struggling. He, she, it. Uh, I'm yeah. not committing. I'm not committing to what Ori is. Because um, um, it's actually whatever the player wants, uh, wants Ori to be. Um, and then... Ori's kind of get some new life vigor and I wanted to make that a really big moment especially because the prologue overall it's quite heavy um, and I wanted to give the the player some hope. <laughs> you mentioned the oboe player and I'm really struggling with if I want to go in that direction now or yes. if I want to ask these other questions first you, but let's go ahead and talk about some of these soloists. You had an oboist, you brought in a singer, you brought in a flute, so we're on oboe. Let's talk about how much oboe you used. And that gave you opportunity to use, is his name Tom Boyd? Yes, Tom, Tom Boyd. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Boyd has the most amazing tone. Very warm. It's very warm and it's, it's almost like it's muted, but it's not. A lot of oboe sounds to me are very reedy and a little bit a little bit harsh. That's really the instrument. It's not usually the player. But Tom's sound, it's very rounded in the higher frequencies and there's just a warmth to it that fits the Forest of Nibel. And I was like, I have to get Tom's sound on the game. And I think I think the best example on the soundtrack is in Up the Spirit Cavern's Walls. Oh yep. There's a couple of sections in there where it's really just Tom's oboe and a very light synth backing. Steve, our, our mixing engineer, put a, put a beautiful reverb on him, and I was like, "That's job done, really." Um, <laughs> and the thing is, the thing is about Tom, we didn't go to a, an amazing studio and recorded that. I mean, we recorded it here at my place, and it's not bad here, but it's not like we're going to a really expensive place. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I asked Steve, like, "How's the recording quality?" He's like, "Oh, it's great. It's all about the performance." And what Tom brought to the table was an amazing performance with the oboe and with Tom's sound. 
I think it was the best instrument to represent Ori, especially at the beginning of the game, because he is quite frail. And Tom's playing is also, for this game, it's quite frail, which is exactly what I wanted. Yes. So tell me about the flutist. This is Rachel Mellis. Yes. I've known Rachel for about five years and I knew there was going to be a place for her on something I was working on. And I've discovered that she started playing a bunch of different ethnic flutes about Mm -hmm. two or three years ago. She was initially just playing flute and alto flute and then she expanded her repertoire and I found out she had a giant collection of Bansuri. (laughs) So I said, Rachel, would you like to play on this game? And her main features are in the prologue where she plays she actually plays the recorder a lot of people think she's uh she's playing a pan flute but she's actually actually playing the recorder which is one of my most hated instruments because (laughs) it's 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 mandatory it's mandatory to play the recorder in english schools it might be the same in america too but uh you know i feel like every kid has has put the recorder to their mouth at some point and i had bad memories of it because it was like 30 recorders in class not a good sound no Um, but rachel played the recorder and she kind of gave it you know a light and airy feel in in the second track on the album but her tour de force for sure is riding the wind and completing the circle which Mm -hmm. takes place fairly fairly far on into the game The area that her music plays in focuses on the wind mechanics in the game. Like Mm -hmm. riding the wind is a literal reference to the game on what you have to do to get through the level. Mm -hmm. Thomas, the director, said, hey, for the Valley of the Wind section, it would be really good if we used a wind instrument. And I'm like, yes, that is the most (laughs) obvious solution and usually the best one. So for riding the wind, we had four to five layers of bansuri and alto flute Um, you'll hear ostinatos in the music you'll hear melodies you'll hear all kinds of different flute sounds coming in and out uh, of the track and that creates a really light and airy feel and at that point of the game the player is probably pretty good at playing it so they've kind of reached that zen moment where they <laughs> they know they're pretty good at the game and they, they're probably if they've gotten to that point they're definitely getting to the end so yeah, yeah. i had a bit more freedom to create something there and the singer airily brighton she's kind of front and center us a few times as well well airily she um well first she has a, an unbelievable voice So I spent a very long time searching through YouTube, looking for singers various. And if I hadn't found someone off the beaten path, I would have I would have hired a session singer and a session singer would have done a, a great job. But what I really wanted, I wanted someone new who was not very well known 
And I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. I wanted someone that was desperate, that was like looking for their, you know, looking for a, for for their shot, mm-hmm, um, because mm-hmm. that's basically what Moon Studios is. Like the art team, most people won't know this, but the art team, for most of them, it's the first game they've shipped. Wow. Yeah. So that's <gasps> it's a pretty it's a pretty good calling card. Yeah. Um, so uh, the most experienced person on the team was Andrew, the sound the sound designer and mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the least experienced on the team, but for everyone on the team, it was like this is our big shot. It's our chance to shine. So wow. I wanted a singer who was also going to be in the same situation, mm-hmm. and I found Erily on YouTube, and I contacted her, and then I found out she lived. 10 to 15 minutes away from me. <laughs> wow. It's a small world. Um, so we, we got together and then the first track we recorded was actually the last one that got heard by the public because it was actually the launch trailer. That was actually the first piece of music I recorded with Early. So, and that was, that was about a year ago, actually about a year ago today. But the first one that the public heard was the E3 trailer. And I think mm. that is what made everyone sit up and notice and you know, take this game seriously. I mm. think that trailer connected and resonated with people in a way they weren't expecting, especially when there's so much noise at E3. To have something that ends on a quiet note, I think that made it more memorable for people. And then everyone was like, oh, we have to go play Ori in the Blind Forest. And mm. the stands at E3 were, were, were packed. the game, Airly is singing pretty much on every key story moment in the game. We, we kept it out of the gameplay because Airly's voice is so strong that it draws a lot of attention to itself. Yes. So we wanted to use it when the player isn't controlling the actual gameplay. Yeah. And that turned out to work really well. So, you know, she's, she's playing at the very beginning of the game. She plays when you meet the spirit tree um, and she's singing in a lot of the, the cues at the end. Well, she's singing in all the cues at the end. <laughs> so... I analyzed her voice with an equalizer and there are so many harmonics going on in her voice. I had to tone it down, honestly, because there's there's so much going on. It was overpowering, overpowering in a good way. There's, there's something going on in her vocal cords. She doesn't know and I don't know. All I know is, is that it sounds good and it connects with people. Um, and she, she sings with real feeling and that is exactly what I wanted. I don't know where it comes from, but I just said, when, when she was recording here, I just said, more of that, please. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a very neutral person and I don't, I don't really get emotional. That's something that most people are puzzled by because uh, mm. there's a lot of emotion in the score. But when I heard her sing, I was like, wow, this is really, if this is making me feel something, then I'm quite positive it's going to make Thomas, our director, and our, and our players feel something. So I think her voice tied together the key story moments in the game. And because she's not singing lyrics, there's a, a universality that her voice brings that everyone can relate to. You said something a few minutes back about being one of the least experienced on the team. <laughs> and I, I kind of want to challenge that because it's oh, not boy. your first game. No, it isn't it, my first game. No, It's certainly not your first media project. You've done documentaries and film and all kinds of things. So what was that about? 
I think the reason why I say that is because when I actually signed up to do the game, which was four years ago, I was very inexperienced. Ah, so that four I think, years. Right. I've been I've been part of the game since before Microsoft chose to uh, chose to pick it up. Um, so I actually scored the prototype. I did that for free. I can't remember exactly how how Thomas and I met, but I, one of us reached out to the other, and and anyway, that that was a good connection to make, obviously. <laughs> um, and. Uh, he sent me a build of the game. It was, it, it was very different to how it is now, but I was like, there's, there's something special here. I should do this for free. Um, I don't nor- normally advocate doing stuff for free, but at that time I was like, okay, it's, it's not going to be too much work. So, um, and that ended up getting picked up by Microsoft. But at the time, I was, you know, I was not an experienced composer. Um, I was just starting in Momentum then, which was my first video game score. Mm. And uh, I think... Now I'm very experienced because, you know, it's not like Moon had me exclusively for the last four years. They allowed me to come in and out, especially for the first two years, but they gave me access to everything, which meant I could really get a feel for the controls and the momentum of the game, which informs a lot of the music choices. And then, of course, when the visuals started coming, that informed even more of the musical choices. But having that kind of access on a core ground level really helped me get integrated into the game's development and also helped me give them feedback because I'm a gamer too. that I think really embedded me into the team and helped me write the music better, I think. So I was inexperienced at the time and I got a lot of projects throughout my time at Moon Studios and they helped me become a better composer and because I was working on the project for so long, I think I ended up throwing out almost all of the music I wrote in the first two years. But it was still a good process to go through. I feel like mm-hmm. most composers, every time they write something new, they feel like they're getting better. I mean, mm-hmm. every time you write a piece of music, good or bad, you're going to learn something from it. So even the crazy electronic dubstep hybrid stuff that I've done, I can probably <laughs> learn something from that. It might seem like a bit far-fetched to apply that to Ori, but there's something you can learn from the production, um, maybe less so from the composition. But every time you finish something, it, it helps you as a composer. And I think the amount of projects I'd done by the time we got to the recording in Nashville meant that I really felt ready. I felt way more experienced when we went to the recording than I did when we started. I wish I'd known what I know now when I started the project, but isn't that part, I mean, that's part of life, basically. You learn as (laughs) you go. Yes. Tell me more about the recording session. Oh my goodness. Um, So- How many players and all of that? So we had two different sized orchestras. Orchestra A was 25 players, and that was more of a a chamber orchestra. Um, I think it's about 16, 17 strings and single woodwind and piano and harp.
and uh, I wanted a chamber sound because the game, for the most part, it's not an epic game. I didn't want the big epic string section. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic though it sounds. Gory is a small character and he's lost in this big, big, big forest. And when you have a string section of that size, uh, you can really get a better chance to hear the individual instruments, especially when they're split up. I think that draws you in a little bit more. So we recorded the majority of the music, I'd say about 70% of the score is recorded with that group, which surprises a lot of people because it's actually still a really big sound. If you listen yes. to Completing the Circle, that's with the chamber group and that's just 16, 17 strings and it sounds like a lot more. That's testament wow. to the quality of the players. Now, Orchestra B was 56 players, if I recall correctly, and that covered every section uh, except the poor old trumpets because I didn't feel like trumpets were appropriate for the game. <laughs> trumpets have a certain quality that didn't match with the aesthetic of a, of a forest. So Fair enough. the poor trumpets were cut, unfortunately. <laughs> that said, we had just seven brass players and they made a huge sound. If you listen to Flea and Kuro, the sound in that track is massive. And we recorded all of the big story moments and cut scenes with, with that orchestra. So that was a shorter session. But between those two sessions, well, it was actually four sessions, but two orchestras, um, over two days, we recorded uh, 130 minutes of music, which is an insane pace. Again, testament to the quality of the players. My overriding memory of the, the recording session is how little sleep I had because <laughs> I was also responsible for the orchestration. This has really been a solo project from the very beginning. I would probably wow. handle that differently now I know exactly how much work that entails. Um, <laughs> the other really foolish thing I did was also handle all the copying myself. So all oh. of the part preparation and all of that I did myself. And, and the, real, the real reason for that is because when you do a project over, over four years, I was thinking about having someone come in and help, but then you have to get them set up and you have to integrate them into your process. And the time I would have lost doing that I would have been able to get everything done anyway. So doing all the composition, orchestration and parts myself, that was a lot of work. But now for future projects, I know exactly what is required and how much time it will take. So I'll be able to delegate exceptionally accurately. That said, I did have an amazing crew while I was there. Alexander Rudd did the conducting and we studied together at USC and he is amazing with musicians. He he extracts a great performance from the musicians, but he's also an exceptionally jolly Englishman and, <laughs> and he's from the north of England, so he has quite a thick accent and in Nashville, they loved him. So like his Northern English accent combined with the Southern accent, which I love. I am obsessed with the Southern accent. I could listen to it all day. Um, they really had a great time with him. So he was able to keep things moving and keep things light. Because a lot of the music is quite heavy um, emotionally. So he was able to keep it, keep it fun. We had um, an amazing engineer do the tracking and then 
Zach Lemon, who uh, basically was my second set of ears, and he hears the same things as I do. So if I was too tired to notice something, he would usually pick it up So and, and usually make good suggestions. But the recording could not have gone better. I've done quite a few recording sessions. This was by far the smoothest I've ever been involved in. When I got off the plane at Nashville, there's a lot of forest around Nashville, which is like the opposite to Los Angeles. And I get off the plane, I'm really tired, but you, know, you breathe in the fresh air, and I was like, everything is going to be okay. There was that 10 minutes before the session where I was like, what if this is going to be really terrible? What if this is going to suck? What if the last four years accounts to nothing? But then the first, the first track played, the first track that we recorded was The Spirit Tree. Uh, which is one of the key cues on the game. And I wanted them to do that first because I was like, this is the melody in its purest form. Like, you will hear the melody here. This is what kind of what we're going to be doing for the next two days. And once I heard that, I was like, this is going to be awesome. Um, I think we've got something really good here. And then after the recording, we recovered for a couple of days. And then it was five days of mixing with Steve Kempster. And he, he did an amazing job and bought... 42 microphones and the, the the tons of tracks of pre-records that I had and he was able to blend it all together and give it a unique sound. I'm, I'm just comparing to other soundtracks that I hear. A great comparison is, is the Dragon Age score, which was also recorded in Nashville and they sound completely different. Nashville, uh, the the Dragon Age, it's a bigger orchestra, obviously, but the the aesthetic is 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 different as well. Um, and the Dragon Age score sounds awesome. I think the Ori score, I'm biased obviously, but I think the Ori score sounds awesome in its own way. I would say it has a slightly old school production style to it and that fits the aesthetic of the game. And for that, I have Steve to thank. It does sound great. And I agree with you that it has a unique sound. I, You can hear that from the very first downbeat of the very first track that it establishes this, this atmosphere, a very open atmosphere uh, to the sound. I agree with you. Gareth, thank you so much. It really has just been such a pleasure to speak with you and hear the story of this wonderful game and wonderful music. So I thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm just so happy to be a part of Top Score. Thank you for listening to Top Score from Infinite Guest. You can learn more about composer Gareth Coker and see a full playlist from this episode at infiniteguest.org. Top Score's production assistants are Pierce Huxtable and Nina Potok. Mark Hintz mixes each episode. Actually, I believe this is the last episode that Nina Potok will, will be lending a hand to Top Score, so a big, heartfelt thank you to Nina for all of her hard work. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Top Score is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. Follow Top Score on Twitter and Facebook at Top Score Podcast. That's Top Score. I'm Emily Reese. Mm-hmm.